because there's this thing that I call the itty bitty shitty committee. It sits on our shoulder. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's a little voice that we talk to and it can be negative. And frequently we say things and children start saying things to themselves as well. Hey folks, this week I got a chance to sit down with Carrie Sutton, an educator, a speaker, a writer about mental health and specifically mental health with children. She's helped over 25,000 kids across Australia and educators use tools specifically designed to help uh, battle, take care of this epidemic that we have going on right now, which is anxiety and depression uh, in our youth. And uh, she's an amazing lady. We dive deep into the tools that she has. It's in her book. It's a fantastic book, The Ten Tools, about how we can help ourselves and our children have better mental fitness in this day and age. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Wealth Faculty with Carrie Sutton. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Awesome to have you on today. Thank you, Jason. Great to be here. Uh, we've known each other for a while and um, uh, I know we have a bit of a, a passion in common and a bit of a history in common, which is from the, from the schooling world. Uh, I was a teacher for six years and you've been a teacher for over 22 years now. Uh, actually, with the grey hair that you most probably can't see, but the grey hair is there and it's been around 28 years now, which is a bit frightening, years. really. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, uh, well, it's going to be awesome today. I, I've enjoyed your book, uh, you know, um, well, give it a bit of a plug, Raising a Mentally Fit Generation, which is awesome. And, uh, you know, you've poured uh, some wisdom and some amazing practical tools into that book for parents. Um, but uh, really, at the end of the day, you know, uh, what's surprising for me, having a look at the book and also, you know, a passion in this world as a parent of three myself and also uh, a teacher in the past with young young people, um, you know, the challenges that are out there right now where we're seeing sort of the rise of quite a lot of anxiety and, you know, mental health issues uh, in our younger generation. It'd be great to sort of, you know, dive into that um, a bit later on and sort of get some wisdom from you as a, as an expert and also a parent. I know, um, I know uh, your kids um, have uh, offered learning experiences like mine over the years as well. So you yeah. know, for those, for those parents listening in, but uh, just, you know, first to kick off, it's been a big 18 months, um, really for for the whole world you know the world of covid um you know did that really accelerate anything in your world with with kids and and, and those sorts of things you know give us a bit of um you know uh understanding what's going uh, on it has jason it really has jason it's um covid has increased everybody's level of anxiety and that children are sponges particularly little children but all children are sponges and they mm. will pick up on what's going on in households what's going on in society and particularly through social media so a lot of our kids are now switched on and connected a lot of the time so when you and I were growing up it was possibly we could go home and shut the door and unless the news was on the television we most probably would, weren't picking up as much of what was happening. Now, yes, the past 18 months has been, it's been unprecedented. So I absolutely acknowledge that. But it's also happening in a time of unprecedented connection and connectivity where there is a 24, if not even more than a 24-hour news cycle where things are churning over, but it's so quick, so rapid. Yeah. Uh, and when when we as adults are stressed and anxious, children can't help but get stressed and anxious yeah, because yeah. 
we are that safe pair of hands that holds them as parents, as parents and as extended family. We are normally the ones that are giving that safety net that feels secure, that feels safe. And the past 18 months hasn't been that way for a lot of the time. For a lot of people, yeah. Let's quickly talk about that because you just said it about, you know, kids are sponges. And uh, and that's one of my um, yeah, um, one of my bugbears or, or things that I decided a long time ago, even before I had children, I, I decided to turn the news off. I, I don't consume any mainstream media without without being intentional about it. And, and, and I did that 28 years ago. Um, but uh, one thing that uh, I was I was thinking about is that, uh, you know, kids are sponges, you know, uh, sometimes as parents, we might not be um, appreciating the the surrounding information or data or stuff that's coming out um, and uh, potentially indirectly influencing our kids, the news, like you said, social media, um, you know, those sorts of things, you know, like what, what can people do about that? Like, like how is, is there sort of ideas that, uh, you know, you could share? Yeah, interesting you say that because even before COVID happened, I was uh, facilitating for a group in a workplace last year and this was before uh, COVID had started. So it was in February and uh, we were talking as uh, about well-being, so about adult well-being. But I was also saying, look, children pick up on our levels of well-being and children pick up on that and we need to monitor our intake of news, our, our media diet. And it was fascinating. One parent walked up to me at the end and a father and he said, you know, Carrie, I can validate everything you say. We were only listening to the ABC. Um, he was in the car with me going to and from school. And yet he came home one afternoon and said, Daddy, am I going to die from COVID or are you going to die? And mm. he said, this is, I didn't think, I thought I was being really switched on. We were only listening to the ABC at home and in the car. But what he was picking up on is a level of angst that he was hearing about a lot of people dying, that this was going to kill people. And he was eight years old. And you can imagine the stress of an eight-year-old thinking, hearing that people are dying or that this, this disease is coming we really do have to be so incredibly careful around what we surround our children's Aware brains with, with, what we yeah. surround our children, absolutely, because yeah. awareness. you wouldn't let somebody come in and spew negativity all over you, yet that's what's often happening when our kids, frequently when they go to school often, because yeah. there will be yeah. conversations in the playground. So we may not, it may not be happening with us because we're being very intentional, but at the, in the playground at school, everybody's got a device now almost, and everybody yes. can say, oh, hey, have you seen this late, latest thing? Or, or, And that's the sort of stuff we have to be really intentional about. What are we allowing in? Now, we're not being cotton wool we're not cotton wooling our kids what we're doing is actually preventing their negativity bias because we all have a negativity bias that's what keeps us alive well i suppose uh, the negative as, you know as a as a young person you know uh your ability to sort of you know make meaning from those things is probably not as good uh or as developed as as an adult i do remember my brother when he was young you know eight or nine years old the first time he uh absorb some information about nuclear bombs and and it was it was months that he had night terrors and woke up every night thinking we were all going to die from nuclear bombs and you know it's it, so, and I, uh, that was vivid for me and you know that it brings up 
you know, those things. So, and that brings up something that I'd love to ask you about as you go along. You, you've worked with over, you know, 25,000 kids in your career, you know, in teaching um, and, and counseling and, and, and so on. You know, the, the schoolyard's a pretty intense place, you know, and, and sometimes I think maybe even I'm saying that in a nice way, it can be pretty brutal. I remember growing up and it was a, it was a pretty kind of a war zone out there, you know, in, 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 in some aspects. Um, and like you said, you know, you, you could do the greatest work at home and then but potentially the schoolyard can be a little bit, uh, a little bit full on, you know, what, what, uh, what conversations or encouragements or feedback would you give to parents listening in right now? You know, when, when, when you feel a bit nervous about sending your children to the school. Cool. A good, really great question. And part of it starts, it, it really starts when they're very young. And because there's this thing that I call the itty bitty shitty committee, it sits on our shoulder. Um, <laughs> <I love that. laughs> it's a little voice that we talk to and it can be negative. And frequently we say things and children start saying things to themselves as well. Uh, when I studied with Martin Seligman and I was talking to him about what I was seeing in classrooms and he, I said, I'm looking at this and it's the rise in anxiety and depression. And this was in the early 2000s. And he said to me, Carrie, if we can stop that negative self-talk as soon as children start to talk, mm. it stops it. It, it. He believes we could actually halve the rates of depression. And what we have to do is give our kids the tools and skills. We are never going to be able to protect our children from life. Life has its ups and downs. Yep. We need to actually teach them the skills to sit with dis discomfort, to sit with disappointment, but also to be assertive enough to know when to go, actually, I can walk away from that person or I need to walk away from that person. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. often teach kids um, the friendship five, like these are the five things good friends would do. If somebody's not doing things other than that, are they really a good friend? And do you need to stay friends with them? Because that's the sort of stuff. And it is hard when kids desperately want to fit in. And I know I've my kid desperately wanted to fit in and you do almost anything. Yeah. But we give them that strength and knowledge. We've got you. We love you. And these are the sorts of values we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I like that because... You know, um, we were just chatting off air and you, you and I have talked about this before. I've got three kids and um, my first two, you know, uh, we thought uh, this is a breeze. You know, it wasn't easy, but certainly we, we felt like we we uh, we achieved things and we did a good job. You know, it was stressful, late nights, you know, all sorts of stuff. But um, and then our beautiful third gift came along and, and our beautiful Jakey uh, is on on the spectrum and, and a whole different world experience for me opened up, you know, and, and really... I think the gift of that, certainly for, for me as a parent, is the idea that, uh, you know, being able to help him, it, it just had to be in a different way. Like, you know, having little skills like that, you know, the friendly five and, and having little models. And, and he, you know, he's got a, a counsellor that he goes and sees, you know, once a week and it helps him endlessly. And, and it broke down, um, I think for me, certainly a, a huge amount of... Um, call it maybe you know just you know ignorance on my behalf about you know um the 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 way things might be and uh it was a it was an amazing gift uh, uh and it's still a gift that keeps giving right now and i know you and i've chatted about that you know in the world of you know um you know atypical or um you know yeah not, yeah 
we have a lot of diverse little people in our lives and yeah. what is considered and uh, the listeners can't but normal you know what what is normal we all have our little quirks yeah. and we are all beautiful unique individuals and i talk to parents about valuing those and really looking at your kids strengths absolutely if there's something that's going to get in their way in life so if, if so with jake it might have been organization his ability to organize things or do things like that we teach them uh so that might be called a a lesser uh, like a weakness or a, and that's where you go you know i can teach skills to fix to address that problem but it's tapping into their strengths because that's when kids you can see it when their strengths get tapped into their chest puffs out yes. and they just go hey you know i can do something i'm worth we all want to know that we can contribute that we're worthwhile and that we are valued mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's an interesting one uh the way you can communicate that because not all kids are the same not all people are the same and we all see and hear you know, those sorts of, uh, you know, call it a love language, call it, you know, how we're valued, you know, in different ways, which, uh, which, which is cool. And, and really at the end of the day, you know, I suppose that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, the encouragement, you know, as a parent or even a human to sort of be more aware of the diversity and sort of be open to learning new skills and new ways to, you know, number one, manage yourself and, and, you know, you know, help you help your beautiful, amazing kids along the way. Cause every parent, you know, wants the best for their children sometimes you know as my parents did they did the best they could but it wasn't great yep. but they did the best they could you know so but jason look even look at how you turned out so their parents do the best with what they have at the yes. time and that's why i say to kids even teenagers look they're doing they're trying their hardest this they love you they care about you they're trying their best and these are the sorts of things. And yeah, they might get it wrong because sometimes parents get it wrong. But as I say to parents, you know, there is no manual. There is no right or wrong way. As long as you're not abusing uh, physically, psychologically or emotionally your kids, the 99.999% of parents I've ever worked with have wanted to do the best for their children. And even when they're cotton wooling that they think that that's the best thing because they don't want to see their kids go through pain and you realize you have to I have to talk to them and say look you know we actually need our kids to experience that because as we hold them in that safe family unit that's when they'll learn hey this pain is not going to kill me I can get through it I I can I can get stronger from that let's talk about kids and media because you mentioned that before you know a device you know everyone's got one on the playground and you know and and you know certainly you know, you know, I feel a little bit old when I say this. Back in my day, back in our day, <laughs> it was, you know, the, the the media was, you know, maybe the radio and and the you yep. know the six o'clock news or whatever, and that was that that was for half an hour. But now it's like, if you want to, it can be constant, endless, you know, bombardment. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the things that uh, I, I certainly had a small amount of experience in because of uh, you know my limited public profile in my business, but also now the the world of um, of TikTok and um, yep. Snapchat and, and endless, you know, putting yourself out there to strangers all over the world potentially and having this feedback loop that can be quite, um, like probably not the right word, damaging or... or mm, no, know, damaging. Yeah. Jason, damaging is the right word because yeah. particularly for children yes. and young people is that, as you said before, we have filters. We as adults can go, you know what? Yeah, no, 
don't like that one. Let's get rid of that one or, or yes. whatever it is. So we can actually manage these. And I'm not saying our young people, particularly our teens and adolescents, they can manage it to a certain degree, but there's still, it's not a, and I hate to say a hardened filter, but there's a filter that we develop as adults to go, you know what, we know that that person isn't in our lives. They don't mean anything to us. So really their comments not valid. Yeah. Whereas teenagers and children particularly still can't weed that out. And that's why I talk to parents and, and educators a lot and say, you know, between the years of most probably, well, from birth, to around nine or 10, even if it's a throwaway comment, children can take hold of that. And that's often what that itty bitty shitty committee sounds like, which yes. is, oh, you're never going to be any good at maths. Oh, da, 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 da. And it's, and you often, when you say to adults, what does that voice say? And they'll go back and say, yeah, it sounds like a teacher I had who said this about me. It sounds like a parent I had, like one of my parents said those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. And now it's becoming on social media. That's the feedback I got from social media. Everybody told me I was a fat cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you realise, you know, there have to be limits around that. There have to be rules. I love Michael Carr, Greg's rule. Um, his kids are grown up now, but when I was talking to him about it, he said, Carrie, my kids hated me in their teens. Like we were early teens. And I said, what happened? And he said, we had a rule. The phones, all of our phones. One, we never used them at mealtimes and we always sat down for an evening meal together. So they'd go there. But at 8.30 at night, every that device all of our devices got put on a table and the reason i really love that is because these are some of the things that take our children's sleep away particularly our teenagers if yes. they're pinging in the middle of the night yeah that gives our kids it's almost like and and they become the amygdala um it, because when miss it, fear of missing out is a real thing uh especially with teenagers yeah, yeah. absolutely uh, and when it pings that's when the amygdala goes off and it's a it's a fight or flight situation to a certain degree and that's when their amygdala becomes heightened oh it's pinged i have to respond oh let me look at that comment because always it's it, it is yeah. always turned on yeah. always turned on always firing so what he did was he said you know i could now be the big bad person who gave them a reason they didn't have to respond at night. So when the kids went to school, why, why weren't you talking to me at 2am in the morning? Oh yeah, you know, my dad's a real bastard. He makes me put my <laughs> phone on the thing and I just don't have it. That's the rule in our house. And so it took the blame off them and put it onto him. Yeah. And I think it's really important to have something like that because what we've seen on TikTok, what with the things that have been inserted sometimes in videos that get our kids' attention, it's really a toxic sewer. I'm sorry. There are also great things, and I don't think I'm down on social media. It's just more our brains, that's where our well-being resides. That's where our thoughts are about ourselves. That's where the habits. So it becomes what? how are we teaching our kids intentional habits to take care of their psychological well-being? Yeah, yeah. And and really, you know, that's really what your book, you know, is all about, like raising that mentally fit generation. I mean, you know, again, it sounds like, you know, I'm an old person here, but it's not the same as it, as it used to be. It's way more complicated, way more intense, way more connected. Like you said, you know, it's 24 seven, you know, 365 days of the year, you know, any moment you can plug in amygdala, get it fired up, get, get something yep. going. And so, you know, how do we help our kids and, and, you know, adults too, 
negotiate this, yeah. you know, in a, in a really good way, a healthy way, because like you said, a healthy there's some way. great things and there's some not so great things. Yeah. Yeah. And that for me is the particularly really worrying part, because if you get hooked on the adrenaline. So as a teacher, I know our children's reading habits have changed since social media has come along. They they've actually done studies now and research has shown kids will scan the outside of the page because that's frequently where the things are that are giving them the clues. So before going to read a text, they will go around the outside of the page because that's what they're used to doing on social media and on the Internet. Wow. And so when you look at that and go, you know, if that's what they're doing when they're not online, we need to really figure out and go, how can we give them some social, healthy social media habits? But also, how can we, because if you buy into, as you said, Jason, you have intentionally, to a certain degree, cut that, so the social media or cut the media out of your life, other than using it for business tools. um, And the mainstream media, you've decided, you know what, I'm choosing certain aspects of that, whether it be the Fin Review or the ABC, I get that. This and you were asking about COVID. I actually said to parents last year, find one source of information, most probably, and this was to take care of their own well-being. Yeah. Take it for five to ten minutes to find out the information you need to know, then switch it off for the day. Yes. Because yeah. that constant hourly, almost minute-to-minute cycle really can spin us in a downward spiral. Yeah. And what happens is when we start being concerned and anxious, the amygdala starts firing, prefrontal cortex shuts down, so we're not particularly rational. It's almost like a a hit of, um, it's not even serotonin, but it's a a hit of instant gratification. I've got to find out that information. I've got to find this out. I've got to find that out. Now, in life-threatening situations, e.g. bushfire, absolutely understand you have to be up to date. But with a COVID situation, you know what? find out the information you need that day, don't keep cycling through it, and then go, what do I need to set up my day well? And that's where we have to do for kids as well, because as you said, it's those habits. How can we protect their psychological well-being without having them so switched on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of a book. I'm I'm pretty sure uh, Sean Accor, I think it was called the, the... The science or the secret of happiness or something. He does happiness a, advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Amy the unicorn on Ted. Yep. It's a hilarious talk. But yeah, he, it is. He, yeah. He just said, you know, very similar to what you're saying right now. It's like certain amount of information will trigger stuff and it can influence your whole day and your intellect drops and so on. So so yeah. Um let's change gears here and, and sort of talk about sort of these these 10 components in your book. If you know, if we could do maybe a little bit of a uh, a little conversation about each of them because I think they're powerful, you know, and, and um, you know, like you said, you know, they, they can be for adults as well as kids. And, you know, I think, I think often both you and I know as, as teachers, you know, we actually learn a lot by teaching things too. Um, and, yeah. And um, that, seriously, <laughs> I teach the things I most need to learn. Yeah, yeah. So that's, it is when you really look at it and you go, um, especially, and that's what I say in the book, I'm not a perfect parent. There will be, you will read things in there and go, oh, Carrie does that as well. Yeah, I've had moments where I'm cranky, Mitchell was cranky and snot was going everywhere. He was tears and it's a mess and you'd realise I screwed up. And yeah. and it's just knowing, you know what, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not a perfect person. I own those faults. 
I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to learn from that. And I'm trying just to share uh, some really easy techniques. But that's why I guess the first one I really talked about was uh, teaching brain basics. Yeah, Our yeah. Kids explain need to know that, about the amygdala. That, what, what's, what's that mean? What, what would that be? What's so that? Compressed well, into, you know? <laughs> really compressed into a minute or so. Uh, I like it. if they wanted to talk about a really easy whole brain child, or it's like there's your hand, close your fist under it, wrap your fingers over. Um, then the brain goes, woohoo, and has a bit of a flip when you have when you flip your lid for example jason i don't know if you do it i used to before mitchell was in the back seat of the car but a bit of road rage really and um, <laughs> somebody pull in in front of me particularly if i was a really close until one day mitchell went and somebody did it and i realized oh i have a parrot in the back seat um yes. and i realized you know what's gone on with road rage is that my amygdala has taken over because i was concerned and it was fearful Possibly I would have been an accident if that, so where our brains don't even, they don't even process this on a rational thought level. So it's not, and that's what we need to teach our children, particularly if we're talking to teenagers about these and the amygdala firing off is that, you know, when you hear a ping, possibly your amygdala goes, oh, quick, you've got to get that because just like fight or flight, you're going to miss out. People are going to think you're stupid. Yeah. We are a herd animal. We don't want to miss out. We don't want to look foolish. We don't want to look like we're not in on things. And that's why the that's where the amygdala takes over. So when anything like that happens to our kids, what happens is the prefrontal cortex goes, woohoo, taking a bit of a holiday because the amygdala takes over and says, you know what, I've got this, I'm going to protect us, going to get us out of there. Yeah. That's what, and we teach our kids, you know, how can we, if that, if we can feel that happening, if we can feel getting anxious, what are the strategies we can use? We could use some deep breathing. We could use some figure eight breathing. We could um, go for a walk. We could use visualization. So it's starting to understand that and really teaching them that because if children don't understand their brain, it's also teaching them about, you know what, your brain needs lots of water to function well and it needs good food and, and those sorts of things. So it's really having that conversation. And then from there, I rolled into looking at optimism because once there's brain basics, we really need, it's not about being an optimist or a pessimist. We are all, uh, we can all sit on that scale. Optimism and pessimism are actually, it's a scale. It's not one or the other. You're yeah. not just an optimist or a pessimist. What it is, is looking at and saying, are you, do you think more optimistically or do you think more pessimistically? And, and if and, you and think more you pessimistically. Think you, can, you can help the kids learn, you know, learn a different part on that scale. Is that, is that part of the yeah. process? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's one of the things we teach is that how do we teach more optimistic thinking? How do we develop more optimistic thinking? Because if they think pessimistically, it's like us as adults, what will start happening is that becomes a downward spiral and that then mm. spirals into heightened levels of anxiety, depression and self-harm. Yeah. So yeah. what we look at is saying, how can we develop optimism? And there's a whole wide range of strategies looking at that. And, and it's also challenging sometimes because in a world filled with negative news, it's hard to be, it's more difficult to be an optimist because people go, oh, you're just Pollyanna. And I know people, what's Pollyanna? Because that's an old term. <laughs> but um, it, you are just, oh, it's all sunshine, rainbows and lollipops. No, it's not about being that. It's actually being a realistic optimist saying, you know what? Life is hard. There are going to be some crap times, but I know I can get through it. 
I know I've got hope at the end. I've got hope for a better future. And that's how we teach our kids to be more optimistic, looking at a better future, understanding that that's going to happen. That. And, and can, you reckon, so, you know, parents, can, can you flip sort of pessimism around? Like, you know, if you, okay, do, do you have to uh, be the example for your kids for that? Uh, or, you know, um, you know what, what do you think? Because, you know, I, I, I certainly know plenty of my relations uh, you know, um, you know, they're always, you know, how are you going? Oh, you know, and, and they've got this kind of version of the world. Um, I, I, I saw a good meme the other day. What, what was it? The, um, the, the optimist and the, the pessimist were arguing over was the cup half full or cup, cup half empty and along came the opportunist and drank it. Um, um, which yes, that's right. Seriously. And it's, it is that it is Jason. That's my concern is that, Parents, and that's what the whole book to a certain degree is predicated on. We are the role models. Yes. So if I'm losing my crap, Mitchell is definitely going to be more likely to have an interesting time right then. And he, I was, and the example I was giving was I was stressed one day. We were going shopping. It was after school. Shops were closing in 15 minutes. I needed to get something. He wanted to look at something. And then it was on, like, as they say, like Donkey Kong. Yes. Um, he and, was and, and, having and, a bit and, of a problem. Your energy was up. So, he, so obviously that's what yep. he's going to do. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. matched it, and that's the sort of thing. So, if we are if we are spending more of our time in pessimistic thought, that's where our children are going to be. Yes. If we are spending more of our time, um, at least with an optimistic outlook or even a realistic outlook, you know what? Because kids will know. For example, Mitchell knew when I was going for different jobs and different things. Because I'd say, "Oh, look, I've got to prepare for this or do this stuff," and I'd say, "Hey." And, I didn't get it. That's okay. I'm actually going to go take, I'm feeling disappointed. So I would always discuss the emotion always with him. I'm not angry yes. at you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It might look like I'm angry. I'm, I'm really disappointed at the moment. I really wanted that job. It's okay. I know things are going to be okay. I'm going to go take a hot bubble bath. So it was now, this wasn't when he was four and five. It was when he was age appropriate, nine, 10, 11, when he could tell that something was wrong, yes. but it was always being open and saying, these are the sorts of things because he would notice the difference in my energy, my outlook, my attitude. And children, as I said before, they, and this is often what we carry from childhood into adulthood, we carry these things because we assume responsibility for them when it actually has nothing to do with us. And, and, and I was th and just thinking out loud now because one of the skills that I've learned um, with working with Jake, which I didn't, I didn't learn when, we had our first two kids was that Jake uh, is very literal um, and uh, it's really important to talk out loud, even though there might be this kind of, you know, this thing there, uh, talk it out and explain yeah. it. And, and, and I, and I think it, it's actually gold. And, and I, I certainly believe it's actually something that's fabulous and you're reinforcing it right now with, with all your kids. Like, so explain yeah. how you're feeling, explain what you're doing, because it's important for them to not misinterpret your actions without yes. explanation sometimes, yeah? Oh, 100%, Jason, 100%. Because what kids will take with them is that was my fault when yes. it actually wasn't. It has right. nothing to do with them Your unless fault. we explain yeah. it and go, you know, this is not about you, beautiful. This, Even though at the moment I, I seem because kids will, if parents aren't having good time or fighting, kids will pick up on that energy. Is it me? Have I done something? Yes. And there's years of therapy that have been paid for by children picking up <laughs> yes. on this sort of thing. Well, yes, yes. But 
that's when you look at it and go, it's okay, beautiful. Mum and dad, yeah, at the moment, we're a bit cross with each other. We're cranky, but it's got nothing to do with you. And it's not about having to disclose anything that's at age inappropriate or disclosing things you don't want kids to know. It's just actually be, being really honest and open and helping them take it apart because as you said when you help Jake when you're helping them pull that apart that's a really key thing because what you're doing is giving them the skills for life Jason you're actually showing to them you know this is how I work this through because so many of our kids and you asked at the beginning why is there an epidemic of anxiety depression self-harm and unfortunately suicide one of them is the fact that they there is so much predicated, they feel, on I've got to have it all figured out. I've got to be perfect. I don't understand all of these things. They haven't actually figured out, you know what? Sometimes life sucks. Sometimes yeah. life's hard and I will get through it. Yeah. This is, I don't yeah. have, I have other options. I have hope. And that I know it's a really simplistic and I'm not, there's got to be a whole lot of therapy wrapped around those kids and all sorts of other things. But ultimately what we want to start teaching them is, you know, there are skills and you can get through this and we'll help you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally true. And, you know, um, uh, just sort of touching on that, you know, that that self-harm and, and, you know, some of the the statistics around suicide, um, you know, is there some differences in, you know, um, girls and boys, you know, um, is there other things in that sort of space where, you know, we go, okay, well, on one side, this is a better idea and a skill and another one. I mean, for example, one of the things that I remember um, uh, picking up somewhere, I can't remember. Well, you know, uh, with your, with your sons, don't sit there deep in meaningful staring into their eyes across the table, go for a drive and have them sit in the passenger seat. Right. So, so yeah, do you know what I mean? Some practical things there, you know? Yeah, practical things. Uh, and particularly for, it can be for girls as well. It depends on how they're relating. It depends on the topic because yeah. driving is a lot easier. You're looking forward. They can talk. They don't have to feel like they're stuck staring at you, as you said. Um, <laughs> yeah. But another one of my colleagues said for his girls, um, he used to put on a cup of tea or and say, and actually he would show his phone, put it on airplane mode and say, you know what? It is your time now. Yes. Like this is your yeah. time if you want to talk about that. I think it starts from when they're really little as well because I often say to parents, you know, Listening to all their problems, which you see as little things, yeah, it can be a giant pain in the backside sometimes. But when we listen to those, those are kids' big things. Mm. That's big in their life at the time. So we need, you need to be keeping those lines of communication open. You need to be able to, now I'm not saying, cause I know working at home, a lot of people have had to work at home and possibly some still are. It doesn't have to be that they overrun your time or things because I've actually said to kids before, you know, look, when I was writing the book or doing other things, unless you're bleeding, don't come and annoy me. And even if you're bleeding, unless it's really spurting out of an artery, not a good idea. Uh, And uh, it's that sort of thing where it sets some bound. You can set boundaries with children. We can teach children to uh, respect those boundaries, but always give them the time. If they've come to talk to you, look at them in the eyes and say, oh, at the moment, I've got to finish this. But in two minutes, can you wait? two minutes and I will be there then be there and be fully present that's the one thing be fully present look in them get down on their level look in their eyes and if they're teenagers take them for a drive get a cup of coffee or whatever and go you know hey 
even if you just want to sit side by side, I'm here. Or I sometimes, Mitchell, I did back to back. So he and I would sit and we'd just, and looking at stars at different times of the night or different things and having those talks and being there because ultimately for girls and boys, and you were asking about the statistics, unfortunately in Queensland at the moment, we've lost four young ladies in the first two months of this year already um and they went to very good private several of them went to very good private schools from wonderful families there is an epidemic out there that's taking our kids and we need to do something different and i guess that and i'm this is not plugging the book at all it's just say i guess why i wrote the book was because I don't want to wait until kids have fallen off the cliff. I want to give parents and educators the tools and skills to build those strong fences at the top so our kids don't keep falling. Totally. And yeah, yeah, that's that's why, because ultimately it's about being connected. Our kids desperately want to connect with us, even though sometimes, Jason, I know you'd be going through this because I definitely went through it with Mitchell. They'd be pushing you away and ah, they still want to know mum and dad care uh they or mum and mum or whatever your family they care they're there they love me yeah absolutely and and i suppose it's kind of like if you get a chance to work out what's going to work for you and each child um yeah you know and the earlier you kind of get a bit of a pattern going or a bit of a system going maybe the easier it might be you know so that's that's great that's a great suggestion you know so i love that so you know you know uh there's a few more things in there managing emotions you know and uh you and i um have uh, have done a bit of work around this and you know Kerwin ray and tony robbins and stuff like yeah. that you know you know emotions you know uh, they, they 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 can be a untamable beast often sometimes you know <laughs> and that and that's the thing it's you said it before you talked about self-awareness mm. a lot of our little people don't have self-awareness because they're living in environments where their adults don't have it and that's why as adults we need to really look at our emotional intelligence and to say are we self-aware and how are we managing ourselves because if you manage your anger by banging not somebody but even if you just put a fist like you whack something or something you can better believe that the children or young people in your house are going to have similar coping styles absolutely yeah, yeah And so it's how do we teach them about that? And one of them, have you have you seen Inside Out, that beautiful movie, oh, Disney it's, movie? It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a classic. <laughs> uh, I often say to parents, look, that that's the five emotions. And unfortunately, in Western society, we generally only talk about those. What there's also discomfort, disappointment. Um, there's a content peaceful there's all this emotional language that we don't use so instead of just being happy sad um angry disappointed rage fear there's actually a whole other gamut and we need to tame it as uh, my seagull doctor says it might say it's name it to tame it so when you can name an emotion you understand and particularly with jake you'd most probably be as well as your other kids but jake particularly let's name the emotion and sometimes kids feel emotions and it's like it's there's about 50 or 60 on there and, and we do it all the time together it's fantastic yeah 
Yeah. And it's, hey, I'm feeling like this today. And yeah. it's, you don't always have to be up or happy. This book no. is not about, oh, being a, that's actually called mania and it's a problem. So we don't yeah, want yeah. people who have that. What we actually want is what's realistic. It's, yeah, sometimes it's sad days. Sometimes we have a day where we're just feeling flat. That's okay. But how do we take care of ourselves on those days? How do we understand that's the emotion I'm feeling? And I don't have to snap or bite people's head off this is how I can manage it because until they get that self-management right looking at their relationships with others is going to be more difficult because all of us would have seen our little children if they bite somebody or whack somebody they're not going to want to be played with anymore so that's the thing of how do we teach them to manage their emotions appropriately or for society and then how do we teach them to interact with others Totally. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, you know, there's, um, you know, recognizing their strengths, making friends, encouraging kindness and empathy, fostering gratitude, learning to fail, working on self mastery, practicing mindfulness. You know, if anyone wants to sort of, you know, uh, dive a bit deeper, like I encourage everyone to grab the book. It's fantastic. But the one I, I probably want to maybe just jump to, and it's one of my sort of my favorites in, in my world is learning to fail, um, uh, you know, and uh, learning to understand for me personally, uh understanding failure wasn't failing it was learning a whole new set yeah. of skills about myself and and other things so you know uh talk us through that one because like like you said you know it's not this cotton wool thing so sometimes well you know if you listen to certain sources of media the cotton wool generation whatever that might be but you know talk us through that one it's actually saying and getting them to understand a fa- i don't use the word well if people use the word fail or if a kid says to me Oh, Carrie, I failed. Hey, tell me more about that. What do you think? Because I said fail for me means first attempt in learning. That's all. It's just we, that was your first attempt. We've got other attempts. We can try again. Look at Thomas Edison. And I know that's a cliche, but I say to them, look, Bill Gates didn't get his first computer right. Steve Jobs didn't get the first Apple phone right. These are the sorts of things that it is a first attempt. And you don't often, and I say to them, do you think Beyonce gets the songs right every time? No, she has lots of attempts. If you saw her first cut of a song, it's very different to what we see when it comes out. So it's just saying to them, you know, it's okay to fail. It's okay to be uncomfortable, to not come first, to not... Now, the other thing I predicate this with, I was going to say to not get A's. If they did not put in the effort, then that's something we also need to talk to them about is that if they're going, you know, oh, I wasn't A's. Well, what might have caused this? (laughs) Like what happened that is different than what you did before? So if you were getting A's before, and sometimes this is really, uh, particularly if I'm working with kids going from year 10 to year 11, this often happens because it's a big jump, uh, particularly into with our two two older ones now. Yeah. Yep. And so it is a large jump. And what happens is you actually, what they realize is, okay, I was doing this before, I might have to do something different this time. And again, it's not saying to them that they failed. It's just saying we might need to change tack. We might need to try something different. And again, when kids come out and go, oh, I failed, I'm not good at this. And I often say, you're not good at it yet. Yeah. Yeah, you you can actually get better. We can get better with practice, whether it be investing in property, whether it be doing our times tables, whether it be um, lifting weights at the gym. You don't just lift weight one weights once and look like Thor. 
that like Chris Hemsworth does that every single day to get that result. So if you want certain results, we're going to need to do something. And just because you didn't have that on the first attempt doesn't mean that you're a failure or that it's not worthwhile trying. Yeah. And, and I think that's, um, you know, that's a, a golden, a golden one. First attempt in learning. I love it. And, and if, anyone, if anyone can take it away, because at the end of the day, you're dead right. You know, there are so many examples that, um, that uh, we often forget to, to remember or look at because, you know, I, I think potentially the world of social media sometimes portrays, you know, oh, get rich quick, instant fame, absolutely. instant awesomeness, and you know. Is- yeah. A slice in time. And what I say to my kids is, you know, you're seeing the highlight reels yes. of somebody's life. Yeah. You don't actually see the grind that they've put in. And I think the reason we as parents don't like doing this, Jason, is because it's a, it's a brain neurology again. So when you go through and you, and you read the part about the teaching brain basics, we have something called mirror neurons. Yes. And our mirror neurons when you see so it's like a monkey watching another monkey eating a banana Mm -hmm. that monkey that's not eating the banana will start salivating and will want that banana and will almost feel like they're eating the banana when we as parents watch our children go through something difficult and something painful whether it's falling out of a tree falling out with friends getting a d that's actually painful for us. And that's a yes. piece of our heart walking around outside our body and we want to protect them. <laughs> so the problem true. Is, so true. Yeah, it, it, you just go, if we are being overprotective and, and often that's where parents go, oh, no, it's going to be okay. Sometimes it's not going to be okay. Let not, me tell yeah. you, if, yeah. if you have to, the other side, so for teenagers particularly, if you don't let them fail sometimes, so if you walk in, say, for example, uh, so it might be, well, Jake would most probably be a different example, um, but your middle child, boy, yeah, a boy or girl? Lily, yeah, yeah. The, Lily. Oh, yeah, so Lily. if Lily didn't do her assignments and you walked into the teacher and said, you know what, hey, that had some stuff going on at home, but look, uh, Lily needs extra time. Is that okay? And the teacher go, and your teacher goes, no, no. And you go, come on, I'm going to go see the principal. And, All right, I'll give in. That's not teaching Lily how to cope with failure. That's actually teaching Lily, you know what? Dad will always pull me out of the situation. Dad will always do something to do that. Sometimes they have to face the consequences. It needs to be natural consequences. So if Lily didn't get the assignment done on time, hadn't put the work in, then her getting a half mark or whatever, oh, I thought, well, you didn't fail, but these are the consequences of not doing what you needed to do. And that's what happens in life. Life is not about all rainbows, unicorns and lollipops. No. It's not going to be easy if you don't do these things. And that's where I say to people, you know, let kids fail. Allow them to be comfortable with not um, always being the winner. That's why, sorry, and I know I'm on a tangent, but it's the races at school where they all get ribbons. Absolutely. Congratulate them for participating, but not everybody gets a ribbon in life. Well, that's so not real, not that's everybody not real gets, life, is no. it? You know, not everyone no. wins. And, yeah, and sometimes, you, you know, you got to work out where you put that and whether whether winning is important to you or not this time or whatever it is and what you want to sort of get out. I, I, I completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I love it, mate. And, you know, probably you know, one of those little sort of takeaways too is like, you know, we're not trying to fix anyone. We're just trying to help our children. They're not broken. We're not broken. You know, like you said, right at the start, you know, we're we're just, we're just trying to help everyone with some tools that they can help themselves with, you know, and then, you know, maybe help their, their kids learn some of these tools and lessons and techniques as well. 
And I guess, Jason, that's something, and I know we're winding up, but that's something I really want to say. This is not about anybody being broken. We yeah. are all trying the absolute best for our kids. We want better for them than we want for ourselves. That's what we, we, we want them to have a better world. That's why we're interested in doing other things. We want them to have better lives, to have things that we um, didn't experience. That's, that's what we wish for our kids. Yeah. And so what we're doing is trying to give parents the skills and tools that like when we get a car, we get a car manual. It says, these are exactly what you have to do. This <laughs> is not about exacts. This book is just saying, these are some things that we know that science has proven. And I guess that's the one thing they're evidence-based science yeah. has proven that these increase both our psychological well-being and their psychological well-being so that they can have a future generations. And that that will also impact the way they parent. Yeah. Yeah. The knock on effect, the pass it, the, the, the pay it forward, it forward. yeah is, is beautiful and wonderful well curry it's it's been amazing to chat with you today and uh, i know we could continue for another hour or two i reckon because there's plenty in there and it's certainly one of my passions working with young people being a being a teacher myself and and uh and and your 28 years of experience um uh, uh are amazing to draw on as well but uh, one question i do ask every single one of my uh podcast podcast guests um, uh, because the podcast is called the wealth faculty and there's two parts to that, you know, the faculties of, of your own personal, uh, wealth, which, you know, one you are certainly, um, an expert in, um, understanding where it's your mental faculties, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, managing your emotional faculties. And then on the other side, the faculty of, uh, experts and people you surround yourself with to, to help you, you know, grow your wealth. Um, and it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean money, but uh, what what is the true meaning of wealth to you, Carrie Sutton? Uh, interesting question. But the true meaning of wealth, I look at wealth, so physical health, psychological health, and financial health, spiritual health. So it's a holistic wealth for me. It's not just one or the other. If I had all the money in the world, and it's interesting, I was working with a very, uh, very wealthy gentleman years ago, and his wife had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he said, Carrie, I'd give all my money in the world. Yes. All my money in the world, but I can't change it. And that really has set my life perspective, which is, you know, if you have all the money in the world, but you don't have physical or psychological health, you're never going to have it. So it's, for me, wealth is actually being a holistic approach and making sure that I take care of every part of that because I can't actually be financially wealthy if I don't take care of the spiritual side, the psychological side and the physical side because I won't be able to do the things I need to do and taking care of my brain, taking care of my mental health uh, and physical health is, yeah, that's a holistic thing for a me. holistic approach. Yeah, you can't be wealthy somewhere and then bankrupt in other places. It doesn't necessarily pan out very well. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful. Thank you for joining me on The Wealth Faculty today. Harry Sutton, wonderful chat. Thank you for having me, Jason. All right, cheers, take care. Hey, thanks for joining us on The Wealth Faculty. Hope you enjoyed. Make sure you subscribe. We're all good podcasts are found. You can find us there. And if you want to watch it, you can subscribe on YouTube, Positive Mentor TV. And until the next episode, take care. Bye for now.